Hi everybody, Mike Wardrock from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. Hey friends, it's Jacob. I'm part of the podcast team here at Encounter. Uh, we lost some of the audio from the Sunday recording, so we've recorded later with Brant at his house. So when the audio sounds different, that will be why. Thanks for listening. Michael asked me to preach a couple of weeks ago, and he said, can you just do basically what I think Tim started saying, and that was, if you want an apple, when do you plant an apple tree? 20 years ago, all right? But if you didn't plant it, then the best thing if you want an apple is to plant it now. So Mike's asked me to speak about the whole thing of what things did I plant back there in my younger years as a Christian that actually are now producing some fruit. That's the deal. And again, Mike said to me, and then he said it again this morning, Einstein, Albert Einstein said, small habits are the eighth wonder of the world. In other words... You get decent small habits going and it'll just be a wonder to see what comes out of that. So what habits and disciplines have I formed that allow me to actually be somebody who really loves Jesus and loves you guys as well? Jesus is my best friend in my old age. Which is a good thing because when you're about to go from this place up to there... It's a good idea to know him really well <laughs> because it me- makes the ride go easier. You know, you're not so scared and you're, you're more aware and more able to anticipate uh, what headquarters is like, what it's going to be like up there. To try and just fill out um, the idea of, of the discipline um, of a habit, I'm going to read from, and this is my Bible reading for tonight, from 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 1 to 5, and it's Paul talking to the church at Corinth, and he says, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquent or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know absolutely nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling, but my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom but on the power of God. The Corinthian people, or some of them in the Corinthian church, were all over the place. They were, most of them were really good. They were a really strong church. They were very enthusiastic. They were a very charismatic church. Um, but some were very average, and Paul had tried to sort them out. Like Some were elitist, some were greedy, some were into very unhelpful sexual relationships, which was messing up both church life and family life as well. And, and Paul actually hadn't had a lot of success really trying to sort this out. And so he thinks about it while he's away from him, and he decides to make a resolution to focus on Jesus and Jesus only, to do his best to explain Jesus as, as he possibly could. And that was a, de- a decision, a resolution, an apple plant, a habit that allowed the power of the Holy Spirit to come to that church. And so disciplines are really important. 
um, even though I like thinking of myself as being a very indisciplined person. At Heart and Soul on Wednesday night, there were a good 50 folk there, and I, I was, again, it was just something I felt Jesus say. As looking across, I, was, I felt Jesus say, I, I'm encouraged by your maturity, but maturity can bring familiarity. The word I got was him saying, don't go into familiarity, but give your egos or submit your egos to me. And to illustrate this again, I think you can see it in John chapter 4, if you look it up, where Jesus is talking to a lady at a well. She was alienated from her visage. She shouldn't have been talking to him. They get talking about the Messiah. She sees that he is the Messiah. And he goes off then, uh, sorry, the woman goes off then to actually go back and say to her village, which she was alienated from, I think I've found the Messiah. Why don't you come out and see for yourself? And the disciples come back to him in the meantime and and, uh, they say, Master, we've got your food now. Here's your food. And he says, hang on a second. There's food that you don't understand here that's going on. This lady's gone back to the village. She's about to bring her village out to us, uh, Samaritans, not Jewish folk. And they're going to become followers of the Messiah. They're going to become followers. They're going to know God as their father out of this. So he says to them, if I can find my spot, he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know anything about. And then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? Because they knew about food and Jesus. Jesus could produce food at times just like that. And he says, Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months to harvest, but I say, you look. I say to you, look and raise your eyes and look into the fields and see. I tell you, there's a harvest that is ripe to be harvested. There is a harvest there to be actually ripe right now. And I feel that in times like, you know, if we're familiar and we're growing maturity, when we walk around into church, outside church, the familiarity means we go to the coffee machine, that sort of thing. Looking around means just to say, Jesus, what else is going on here that I need to be aware of? Because that sort of maturity does bring you closer to Christ and makes you a lot stronger as a believer as well. Going back to the fact that I'm allowed to talk about myself because Michael said I could. The first thing that started off with me when I was about six, I come down for a little farm at Inman Valley, right, up in the hills. They called it a rough block that we had because there was a lot of kangaroos on it up on the side of Mount Robinson. So I didn't know many other people or all the rest of that. I hadn't been to church a terrific amount. We used to go on occasion. Flinders Street Baptist, a missionary lady, as serious as you could get, saying, I'm in India. Indians don't know about Jesus over there. Shouldn't we go over and be... And I thought to myself, if we know about God, if we know about Jesus and they don't, we all should get up. Why isn't everyone running out of Flinders Street Baptist and just going? And, And in my own heart there, I think something ticked over that never went away. And that was one day I would be called to do something uh, full time. So it was the first thing that happened. It doesn't say I wasn't basically a naughty boy, but it just meant that that was in the back of my mind. Uh, When I was 13, my brother David uh, died from leukaemia. And that really put the cat among the pigeons about the whole of life, philosophy of life, theology of life, what's the meaning of it all. Uh, things like death, which seemed to have a wall miles thick up until that point, all of a sudden death just seemed to have a paper-thin 
uh, peace between me and, and that. And it was a really horrible time, actually. I desperately read the Bible. The good bits were for others and the bad bits were for me. And then got right through, right through until John's Gospel when I read the words of Thomas saying to Jesus, Lord, we don't know where we're going, so how can we know the way? And I thought, well, that's my question. And then Jesus' answer really, really, really did speak to me. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will also know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And a strange sense of peace and hope dawned in me uh, from Jesus at that point that has never left me. I still felt uh, very emotional at times, but that gave me a sense of um, security and uh, a sense of, of, of life, of life coming towards me and being in me. Uh, the other big thing that happened when I was a young person was at 21, I was reading, and my mum used to put um, devotions under my pillow or on my pillow at night, and occasionally I'd read them. And uh, so at 21, I read the words in Mark that Jesus says, or it says about Jesus, Jesus looked at this very rich young man, or quite a rich young man, who was seeking to know what it was to, to, to be saved, and Jesus looks at this young man who's well off and he says, and it says in the Bible, Jesus looked at him and loved him. And then he said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and then you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Now, I was pretty well off for someone at 21 because of share farming and uh, doing bees on percentages with the same guy, same boss, um, and working with him a lot of the time, 24-7 some days pretty much. The whole thing about looking at him and loved him, that Jesus looking at the rich young ruler and loved him just really spoke to me. I felt about my own life, about uh, what I knew. I knew a fair bit about the Bible and that sort of thing, or a fair amount. And I'd done the religious things, and therefore this idea of selling and following, it just spoke directly to me. Um, and I had to go. I knew I had to go at that point. If I was going to go, that was the point to go at. Jesus approaches all of us quite differently. I, I believe Jesus has something in all of us that if we don't do it, the world's the worst off at the end of our lives. And I knew what I should do at that particular time for the rest of my life. So I shared the secular or biblical, old biblical term, carnal, uh, fleshy uh, Christian life and uh, gave my ego over to Jesus uh, just in passing, if if we're doing our own thing as a Christian, well then it's a bit like we spend our Christian lives as a, a grub crawling along in the grass, uh, handing our e egos over to Jesus or uh, shedding the secular means that we actually shed our restrictions of being a grub, like a little grub, and then we just begin to float like a butterfly. It's a different lifestyle different experience, uh, different attractiveness as well. Since then, these are the apple trees or disciplines or habits I've formed or planted uh, during my lifetime. The first thing I did was I was decided I'd have a go straight away. Um, so I burnt my bridges. I went and saw my local minister before I talked to my family because I knew particularly what my dad would say. And he'd say, why can't you be a Christian and stay on the farm? Why do you have to go? 
and uh, just in passing families can really hold you back at times if you don't watch out and sometimes we have to be really careful the other thing I did straight away was I knew I had some friends who really liked the horses I had and they were quite keen to buy them so I sold them straight away uh, burn any bridge that leads you away from Jesus I know that we're pretty much over Lovember here at Encounter because we've had Lovember and talking about relationships and sexuality, but Jesus told me I was too girl-dependent rather than dependent on him. So for the next three years, I didn't have a girlfriend and that toughened me up and I focused a lot better after that. Now, all of this, did this make me feel happy? Some of the time I felt, I knew I was on the right track, some of the time I felt happy. I knew I was on the right path, but sometimes I felt, and quite a lot of the time, I felt really miserable and quite lonely, actually. In my own church in Inman Valley, I thought, I was wrong, but I thought nobody understood. All my age, the young, teen, the late teens, early 20s had gone off to the city, I thought, to make love and not war, which is not exactly true. Uh, it was the early 70s in that time, and the anti-Vietnam movement was in full swing, the church was seen by many as reactionary or even worse. What do I do? You know, no kids around the church. All right, I'll just go back, go out and make love, not war and give the whole thing up because I feel like that. And secondly, why don't I go to a bigger church? Then I thought, blow it all. So what I did was, there's no Sunday school that I got. I started a Sunday school, right? And the kids kept coming, so something good was going on there. And we had fun. I'm, not, I'm pretty good at making fun, actually. Um, I was on the edge of the youth group and they were all growing up. There were one or two Christians there, so we wound that up a lot and people became Christians. We started a Bible study on a Sunday night that was pretty hot sometimes because some of the people that came were into Richard Dawkins, who is very strongly anti-Christianity. So that was, that was good fun. Uh, and also I decided to read the, the Bible once a year. Now that to me is definitely a discipline, all right? Because I could read three pages of the Bible and be thinking about something altogether different. You know what I mean? Have any of you done that? Yeah. You, know, you've, you've, you know, you've worked out what you're going to have for tea and breakfast the next morning. Oh, I'm supposed to be reading the Bible. But if you keep at it, I tell you, if you keep at it, it slowly it becomes easier. It really does. And it is true to say that this book... This book is, you know, Paul says it's, it's God breathed. The Holy Spirit comes up, up through it, right? And the word breath is the same word as for the Holy Spirit. And so if you ask Jesus, can you actually give me something out of here? Come, Holy Spirit, breathe something up from in here. It slowly occurs. And because I actually could get my mind in other directions, I started using a book. You can call it a journal, whatever you like. Because if you're writing something down, you have to concentrate, all right, on what you're writing down. So I pushed myself in that position. And most days now, sometime while I'm reading that book, I also have sort of the hairs on my arm stand up in the back of my neck because somehow or other the word of God becomes Jesus' word to me. So it's worth keeping at that. All right? So the first thing I've been talking about is having a go. All right? All of you, think of something if you want to and then have a go. The second uh, apple tree uh, that I think we ought to actually plant is initiating fun and Michael I'll be pretty quick on this one Michael as in Michael Wardrop got converted I think he got converted through a beer appreciation group have any of you been converted through a beer appreciation group have you ever been in one all right 
So we started that. And my son, I wouldn't let him lead it after a while because the, the Bible study leader had to actually go and buy a six-pack of different beer to any other beer they'd had in that group before, put it in a glass jar and pour it out, and then they had to appreciate it, right? And I said, in the end, I said to Simeon, you can't do that anymore. It's costing me too much money. You can't lead the Bible study. And Jen, Jen wanted to do work experience when it was me once. And I'd been mucking around at a church service on Sunday night. I said, I'm going to start a shooters group. And all these kids come up afterwards and say, we want to join your shooters group. I said, go home. I don't want, I was only mucking around. In the end, I went to the, the local rifle range and, and I said to the people who came, uh, look, if, can, we, can we go to the rifle range? They said, yeah, you can shoot air rifles, air pistols. So I said to the, the kids who wanted to go and some adults, Bring someone else with you. If you're working, you bring someone from work who doesn't go to church because we're going to talk about Jesus sometime during the evening. And we went shooting rifles. That's right, isn't it? I'm not, see, I'm actually telling the truth. I'm not preaching right now. So Jenny was there. So that's number two. Make sure you have some fun and think about how to initiate fun where people are nurtured into their faith more as well. Thirdly, the apple tree of accepting Jesus' friendship and love. Uh, recently, if we've been doing the Nicky Gumbel uh, Bible in a year, uh, we've been through 1 John 1 where it says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to, to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I think a thing we need to learn about accepting Jesus' as friendship is that we're always going to do sin, all right? There's a few really bright heads out there. I think they're free of sin, those people, the rest of you. <laughs> and if you look at Jesus, he, he obviously knows that. He reinstates Peter after Peter goes right off the edge about him at, at uh, his crucifixion. Peter, um, Jesus is immediately back with him, not, about, not even about forgiveness. It's about reinstating him into his position, which he'd been called into, which was a leader in the church. If you are called to something and at the same time there's things going on which you need to sort out with Jesus, when he comes to you and he's coming to you now, he reinstates you. He doesn't give you a lower position. He is calling you to what he was calling to you in the first place. And he knows that as well. And even after the, the Holy Spirit had come on the church and Peter had pre preached on the day of Pentecost, there are two times... That we, read, we actually read about one in Galatians uh, chapter 3, verse 13, where Peter makes another heck of a mistake, which Paul sorts out. So go read that one for yourself. And then there's a quote, a quote which some people would know, Quo Vardis Domine. Does anyone know what Quo Vardis Domine means? Anyone see the Quo Vardis Domine? It's Latin for, where are you going, Lord? And the tradition is that when... Um, Nero was persecuting Christians in Rome. Peter decided to get out of Rome because he was going to get persecuted. And as he goes out, he has a vision of Jesus coming back in. And he says, where are you going, Lord? And Jesus says to him, I'm going to be crucified again in Rome. And Peter gets an understanding that he's not to leave, but he's to stay in Rome to lead the church, even to the point when he was going to be crucified upside down. So Peter goes back and he does it. So we keep on making mistakes. That's number, uh, next one is plant the tree of going through narrow, the narrow door, okay, the narrow door. Enter through the narrow gate, Jesus says, for wide is the gate and broad and easy to travel is the path that leads the way of destruction and eternal life. And there are many who enter through that. 
But small is the gate and narrow and difficult to travel is the path that leads to the way of everlasting life and there are a few that find it. Now, I'm going to ask you a question and you can try and answer this one. Which of those two places is actually the, where the actual brightness is? Because I always thought, oh, well, the bright lights was going down the broad way, all right? But in actual facts, that's the dark way. It's just easy to find. The bright way is the, is the narrow little door and the, and the narrow road. When you actually choose the narrow place, you go into brilliance. You go into the kingdom of God. You go into eternal life. You go into life in all its fullness. So keep that in mind, that to go through the narrow gate, it may be a squeeze for you, but you're entering, entering into brightness, not into darkness. And we have to have the tenacity to keep going. I tell you what, I, from my experience, it's really hard to stop somebody who actually feels that Jesus has called them, even when everything else seems to be against them. I know, I can tell you about from my own experience, if you keep going, it's really hard to stop you. So don't stop because you sort of think, oh, this is too hard. You stop because you get thrown out or whatever else because you'll think, oh, I did make it. Like, I still have a dream where I'm actually studying and failing exams and I wake up and think, oh, I can't possibly become a minister now. Wait a second. I started three churches. Oh, <laughs> praise the Lord. All right? <laughs> so keep on going. I think a great, a great Bible verse around this area is in Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 to 28, which is the faith of that Canaanite woman. Jesus sort of provokes her in a way. He says, you know, you're not from our faith, therefore, you know, uh, the master only gives food to the people at the table. That would be the Jewish people. And she thinks, I'm going, to, I'm going to take him on on this, right? So she says, even the dogs get the food under the table, Jesus. So I don't care. I'm, I don't want to be up on that table necessarily. If I can get your food down under here, I'll, I'll take it, all right? And Jesus says to her, you know, basically he says, Jesus says, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. So... The, you need to actually go through the narrow door and to have the faith to keep going. Next one, uh, the apple tree of receiving the witness of the Holy Spirit. I mean, who's, who's, who actually, like me, would feel a bit scared about the day of Pentecost, you know? The Holy Spirit comes, there's flames of fire. They're speaking in tongues, which when I was young, used to think, I used to think, that is freaky, man, all right? <laughs> tongues of fire, speaking in tongues, and all the other stuff that was going on, but at the same time as that, as someone who felt called into the ministry, I'm thinking, I can't go into the ministry unless I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit. So I'm stuck, right? I'm scared, but I've got to have the Holy Spirit. Well, what do you do about that? Well, firstly, you need to actually seek and keep on seeking until you find. And you know how long it took me to actually feel confidence about the empowering of the Holy Spirit? Six blooming years, right? So you have to give me a bit of credit for persistence, all right? And in the meantime, if someone said it, because the Holy Spirit renewal was going on, are you filled with the Spirit, Brand? I'd say, well, as far as I know, I am, but I'm still asking, all right? I've asked, so I'm happy with where I'm sort of, but I'm still asking. There was a nun once. You know how nuns pray to Mary? There was a nun once who was desperate to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and she said one day, Jesus... If you don't fill me with the Holy Spirit, I'll tell your mum on you. <laughs> That's persistence, you know. 
Interestingly, the way in which I, I did actually receive the, that really strong, powerful experience of the Holy Spirit, my sister, uh, just due to family circumstances, was quite badly cutting her wrists and taking overdoses. She spent quite a lot of time over a number of years in hospitals. And almost as soon as I actually experienced that filling of the Holy Spirit in which I spoke in tongues, that happened at that time, God said to me, God the Father said to me, Brant, go round to Glenside, to the hospital there where my sister was, and ask your sister, ask Meg to ask Jesus into her heart. No theology. Now, I was thinking, God saying no theology is a bit weird, really, because theos is God, all right? God saying, don't talk about me, just talk about my son Jesus. And it happened so persistently, and I never, I spent a lot of time with Meg just trying to help her, but I never talked to her because she wasn't interested in Christianity at that time. I went there and said, well, Will you ask Jesus into your heart? She said, yes. Can I pray that he comes into your heart? Yes. So I did. Come back the next day, do you know what I've done? She said, yes, I've asked Jesus into my heart. And within about, oh, 10 days, two weeks, she'd left Glenside Hospital. She never went back there again. She was in and out of there all along. She went home with mum and they prayed together and stuff like that. So being empowered by the Holy Spirit is not so much for me, I don't think, but it's for ministry, is to get Jesus into other people's lives. Next apple tree, the apple tree of Christian assurance. Now, if I got you on your own and pushed you a bit and I said, are you really, really, really a Christian? I wonder how, you, how we'd all go. Uh, the verse that most Christians look at in terms of being assured of the fullness of the Holy, or of the Christian assurance is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10, where Paul says, For it's by the grace of God that we are saved, and not through, uh, saved through faith, sorry, and, not, and this doesn't come from ourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. In other words, God just gives it to you. All right, it's a gift. You say, Here's a gift, I believe I've got it by faith, and that's it. There's nothing else to it. Now, I'll talk a little bit, and then I must tell me when to stop, Jen, because I really want to be here. Um, I was in Bible college, and Jen's grandfather, Jeff, was the principal of the college, and he's a pretty strong man. If you want to know where she got her personality from, I can tell you. Um, he, he and I got on really well. I was in, in the Bible college for three years. I found uh, being sure of being a Christian quite difficult, even though I was in Bible college, um, then in my second year there, I actually preached on a Friday night down there, and there's 200 people would be at this. So chickening out, I went back to one of the farms that I'd been working on and hid in a haystack, all right? So you got this guy hiding in a haystack, a bit like, what's the guy that ran away um, to, and got eaten by a whale, shark, what's his name? I did a Jonah, I suppose you could say, all right? Anyway, in the middle of all that, I thought, well, I've got to, I can't just stop here. I'll go back and see uh, Jen's granddad, uh, Mr. Bingham. And uh, he, he prayed for me and, and I preached, and I bet it was a pretty average sermon. But at the end of that, for whatever reasons, Christian assurance came to me, all right? So it took a while, took a while, planted it, thought about it, uh, obedience, preaching, and then, for whatever reasons, it was the moment where the miracle occurred where I thought, I don't care what anyone thinks, I'm a Christian because of the grace of God. And I still feel that way as well. <clears throat> Jeff was a bit naughty. He probably taught me to be naughty as well. He reckoned uh, I learned by osmosis. 
which is a bit naughty because it's actually the, the passage of a liquid through a semi-permeable membrane, which he's saying is my head was a bit only just semi-permeable. But I could put up with that. I saw him later in life and he said, Brent, I always knew you'd make it, which was interesting. Um, <laughs> A quote from Nicky Gumbel, uh, all right, and, and this happened yesterday in yesterday's reading. It's about Christian assurance. And Nicky says, Alex Buchanan was, uh, was well known as a pastor of pastors. He was profoundly deaf in one ear with only 5% hearing in the other. And one side of his face was paralysed after he suffered severe nerve damage during major survey, sur- surgery. And Nicky says, I remember hearing him speak about God's love and he kept repeating the words, God's love, God loves you unconditionally, wholeheartedly and continually. And when he'd finished his talk, he came up to me and he said, do you believe that God approves of you? And this is Nicky Gumbel, right, who's winning people for Christ in jail and everything else like that. Do you believe that God approves you? And Nicky says, I said, actually, I really struggle with that because I know things about myself that mean I find it difficult to believe that God approves of me. And Alex replied, we all struggle with that, but God wants you to know, Nikki, that he approves of you. He wants you to know that he loves you unconditionally, wholeheartedly yeah. and continually. That's Christian assurance. That's right. I'll move on a little bit more quickly. The, the next one, Tree, is the planting of confidence in the absolute authority of Jesus. In other words, Jesus' power over evil. In Port Wakefield, we were going to renew now. I think I saw Jem Woodhouse up the back there. Hello, Jem. How are you? Um, her grandfather and, and had started these renewal rallies, Holy Spirit rallies, and we were having them in our church at Port Wakefield. And our younger son, Todd, was just less than 12 months old. He was just a baby in a cot, basically. And the re- renewal rallies were there uh, every two months. And either the night before the rally or the night after the rally, Todd would wake up, this little baby would wake up screaming, and screaming, and he wasn't a screamer. That wasn't. He's still not like that. He's pretty tough, all right, in that area of his emotions. And I thought after a while, that's not coincidence. That is actually more than that. And I was thinking, I don't know whether I'm going to go on with this. If if that's going to happen to my son, I'm going to back off. If the devil can do that to my child in his cot, I think I'll just sort of go and tiptoe through the tulips. And I thought, no, blow it all. And Jem's grandfather, bless him. Johnny Woodhouse, he started this thing where he was encouraging people to go to this thing called Victorious Ministry through Christ Clergy School. I thought, okay, I'll go there and I'll learn how to hold my victory. And that's what we do now. I, I can tell you, if you find somebody who actually you know is definitely through a voice speaking through them, I can tell you definitely that Jesus will deal with that, all right? Yeah. And not long ago, it was just a little while ago, we were having a meal with a, new, a young new Christian sorry, at our house and the, 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 there was some spirit there that was fogging up my head and fogging up this other guy's head as well, right? And Neva just prayed a prayer and for me and I think for the other guys, well, everything just clarified because one of the things the devil will try and do is, is actually make you tired and confused and uh, Jesus will clear that out. So I was prepared to plant a tree and become confident about the authority of Christ. Uh, Next one, plant a habit or a tree of focusing on Jesus rather than comparing yourself. When I went into the ministry, right, another guy, unbeknownst to me from one of the other farms, 
He'd gone to see the minister, a pastor of the week before. So we were both to and froing with our, with our old mans, with our fathers about leaving the property. The only problem was, and we, so we did a lot of preliminary exams together, the only problem was he is extremely eloquent and he's extremely intelligent. So he picked up theology really well and it was absolutely impossible for me to keep up with him. Now, comparing, comparing myself with him, which I did, I thought, well, I might as well stay on the farm because he's just so much ahead of me. I'm sure no one else compares yourself with other people when it comes to Christianity. It's just me, all right? So, what do you do about that? You recognise that Jesus actually comes to you in, with your personality, with your strengths, and with everything about you. He already knows, you know. If you look at, at, at Jesus speaking to the varying friends of his after his resurrection, what does he do with Mary? She had had seven demons removed from her. She'd been a prostitute. And she was a hugger, right? You can hardly blame her for wanting to hug Jesus because he'd freed her from so much. And so he realised that. He says, well, don't hug me because a bit later on the Holy Spirit will come. He'll hug you on the inside, Mary. All right? Thomas, when he speaks to Thomas, see, Thomas is the one that always asks a question. We don't know the way. He's an intellectual, right? And he needs that answer. So Jesus says to him, he says, all right, Thomas, you need proof intellectually and practically. Put your hand in my side. So he comes to you with, your own, with the needs that you've got and all of that stuff, and he understands them, and he says to, me, to you, look, I'm still coming to you. I love you. I've got something for you to do. Just don't give up. Just keep growing in me. And don't look at other people. You know, Peter, when he, he actually was sorted out by Jesus, he's sort of probably scratching his head thinking what to do. So he says, it says in the Bible, when Peter saw John, another one, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered in exactly the appropriate way for us. He said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that got to do with you? In other words, and he says to Peter then, you must follow me. In other words, you leave me to deal with that person because that person's really different to you. I'm dealing with you. I'm telling you that you're a leader, Peter. I'm telling each one of us here that I'm calling you into something special to actually mature and grow up and plant apple trees that will allow you to experience great things later in life. My final apple tree is the apple tree of Habitual determination. Now, I don't struggle with that all that much, so I can stick my chin out at times. I'll say again that if you actually get determined, uh, it's very difficult for you, someone to put you off. When I was in theological college the first year, the, 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 the staff decided to get rid of me because I was psychologically unprepared or not suitable for ministry. Now, you might say, well, good on them. They had a bit of wisdom there. But I thought when I found out, and I wasn't supposed to find out, someone told me about it. And so I thought, well, blow it all. Jesus has called me. So I went and saw the principal. I said, principal, you can't kick me out. Jesus has called me. Simple as that. And he was looking at me and I'm looking at him. And he's like playing cat and mouse. So he said, I'll tell you what, Brent, the Methodist Standing Committee are meeting in a few weeks' time. I'll tell you what we'll do. You go, I'll go in and tell them why you should leave. And you go in and tell them why you should stay. And so I did. I said, look, I'm called by Jesus. And basically, Jesus won that round, all right? So we need to have habitual determination. 
We really need to be consistently nurturing these apple trees that will give you the fruit later in life of an experiential relationship with Jesus Christ where our eyes are open to look at the harvest and not become familiar with church or anything like that, but look at the harvest, look at what the Holy Spirit's saying to us. And the outcomes, and this is the end of what I'm going to say here, is that it's just, I mean, what more can a 73-year-old guy like than to hang around with you guys and try and nurture you? I mean, how brilliant is that? You know, there's Jesus and you and I. And, and it's just lovely. It's just a beautiful thing. I'm very thankful to Jesus for allowing me to be part of what you're doing here. Jesus gets really personal with me. And I think it's important that actually the habits do bring uh, personal relationships, a personal relationship with Christ. I'll tell you one on holidays, right? We, this is only two months old. I was struggling because my brother, next brother down, he's got uh, extreme Alzheimer's, so he's younger than me. And I really feel for him. And the family's got a history of Alzheimer's. thinking, you know, what's going on up here? And I was actually in the shower room up in Darwin, and I was looking at myself, and, and God said to me quite distinctly, Brant, you're going to live the way you want. You're not your brother. You're not your father. You're not your grandmother. You, and, and you'll live and you'll die the way I want. And I was immediately freed from that stuff, all right, that fear of, of that sort of thing. That's a fantastic thing in old age to actually have God still speaking to you. And also, the next night, and this is a weird thing as well, which is very biblical, but it's weird, there was an angel in the shower room, all right? And he's come to me a number of times during my lifetime, especially when I'm really under duress as a pastor in a church. And he'll come at night and he just is in the room. The problem is he's about 10 foot tall, but he's got to go in under the seat. I don't know how he does it. In, and I sense, sense him. I haven't seen him, but I do really sense him. Because when he came to me in, in Darwin, we were, I was in a shower room that was quite tall. And I thought, oh, at least he can stand up in here. <laughs> and the, the issue is, the issue is in my old age and with where I'm been and where I'm going, if you look at Jesus, ministering angels came to him. The angels came when he was born. Angels ministered to him when he was nagging in the garden. Angels were there when he left to go back to headquarters. So ministering angels are here to support us. And I'm blessed, blessed enough and, uh, and lucky enough Christianly to actually in my old age experience that sort of stuff. So that when someone like Prof Brian Cox talks about the history of the universe and how big it is and how wide it is. I think, Jesus, you, you got from headquarters way outside that easy as. Your angel comes in and out easy as. So I'm going to enjoy flying over all of the, uh, the varying stars and the, the varying constellations as I go back to headquarters because you started all this. You're bigger than it. You're more powerful than it. And I know that there's somebody, a friend, who's going to go back with me on that trip. All right? So tonight, the, the question is basically, and the people who will already know this, you, you'll know, I bet you know already, what is the tr apple tree that you should plant? What is the discipline that you should form? What is the habit that you should have that would actually allow you to go on from being somebody who is maturing as a Christian to somebody who through the, the, the time of your life actually learns to experience that a relationship with Christ which is something which is quite personal and it's regularly and it's regular it's daily and allow you to see when you lift up your eyes see the harvest that's in front of us in front of you and I'm going to give you a minute I think of silence right which will sound like an hour <laughs> 
But basically, I'm just saying, asking you to say, well, look, what habit, what apple tree do I need to plant tonight, all right? Some of you won't know, some of you will, all right? So that's, the, that's, the, that's your prayer right now. What is the habit, what is the thing I need to do right now to allow me to actually develop a relationship, a deeper relationship with Christ? Jesus, help us to stick with what we believe is the right thing for us to do at this stage. The apple tree, the habit, the decisions. Help us to have tenacity and fun. Help us to actually be in a position with you where the power of the Holy Spirit is able to flow through us. Allow us to mature and bear fruit, a fruit that will last. We open up our eyes and in the Holy Spirit we look to the harvest, the harvest of joy that is coming into our own hearts and lives and the harvest that as a church at Encounter we, we're going to see come in in times to come as we actually plant our fruit trees and then reap the crops. Jesus, all glory to you. We love you. You're our saviour. You're our redeemer. And you're our friend. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you were able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We would love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to financially support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.